Good morning. Uh, I want you to know these are not my notes. Home Ben Watt. I have a cold. So, um, so this should be interesting, actually. Uh, before we start, I have a short announcement. I want to pass these uh, clipboards around. We are trying to get information about who you are and our um, records of who you are and your email addresses are terribly out of date. And so um, if you could fill these out, you don't have to. Uh, you can still go to church here even if we don't know who you are. But it's helpful if we need to contact you about things. I'm going to pass these around, one for each section. You put your name. Name, serial number, blood type. Uh, there's also some opportunities to serve if you're interested. All right. Well, I'm, I'm very much comforted and encouraged by God's promise that when we are weak, he is made strong. Since I'm sick and rather weakly, this gives more opportunity for God to work. Praise God for that. So let's pray as we begin. Father, we really do thank you that you are almighty and all-powerful, that you are our Father, and you long to reveal yourself to us, uh, to show us your character, your heart, your purpose and will for our life. Lord, I thank you for each person here and just the work that you're doing in their life. as you are fulfilling your heart and purpose in them, step by step and day by day. Lord, we thank you that you are so patient with us and so kind, and yet you bring difficult things into our life uh, to build us up in you, to teach us to trust you more. So we, uh, we pray that this morning you would speak to us, you would teach us, uh, you would show your goodness even now by revealing yourself to us through your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. We just invite your presence to meet with us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we've been uh, looking through John chapter 15, and it really is just a fun, encouraging passage of Scripture of this life of abiding in Christ. And uh, as we kind of walk slowly through it and really have this picture of what it means to be in deep communion and fellowship with Christ, to be nurtured and sustained by his good and kind, loving power and wisdom and life. Uh, That Jesus wants us to bear fruit in everything we do, both in us producing Christ-like character and through us to to bring people to himself, to disciple people, to have an impact in the world. Uh, We've learned about God's love for us and how we are to love one another with that love to walk in obedience, that uh, part of this abiding life is to see answered prayer, uh, powerful prayers answered, to see God work in dramatic ways in our life. And, uh, and, and best of all, the icing on the cake is that God wants us to be filled with joy. We're actually supposed to be happy as Christians. Strange, I know, but that's what God wants for us. Uh, he wants people who are smiling and joyful, and even in the midst of difficulty are confident in God's presence. And you read through this and you go, wow, this Christian life is just a piece of cake. This is, this is great. And who wouldn't want this, right? But Jesus uh, 
knows that there is another side to this coin. And he doesn't want his disciples to be misled or to think that, man, from here on out, it's just going to be a piece of cake for you guys. You're just going to be happy. Uh, hippies, you know, eating yogurt and just having a good time and <laughs> loving Jesus, right? Um, he says, in, you know, right on the, on the heels of this great picture, he says these words. He says, if the world hates you, Remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. They would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me also hates my father. If I I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything I did, Yet they still hate me and my father. This fulfills what is written in their scriptures. They hated me without cause. But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. For you will be expelled from the synagogues, and the time is coming when those who kill you will think they are doing a holy service to God. This is because they have never known the Father or me. Yes, I am telling you these things now so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. Uh, This kind of brings it all back into reality. And Jesus makes it very clear that what he is calling them to is a life of, of abundant fruitfulness, of walking in God's presence, of being filled with him. But it is also called to a, a life where we will be hated and persecuted by the world. Uh, he said, if they hate me, re, you know, if they hate you, remember they hated me first. And uh, it's important for us to keep this in perspective. It's important for us to understand that what God calls us to is a life of joy of love, abundance, of abiding in His presence. But as we grow in those things, we will experience persecution and and hardship. We will find ourselves at odds with the world we live in. Um, So that's what he says. Let's see what he talks about, what this means, what what it means for us, and what, what is our relationship with this world? This world that hated Christ and killed Him This world that hates and has rejected God, uh, where does that put us in relationship to this world? What are we supposed to do with this? Uh, Well, he says the the number one reason why the world, there's a couple reasons, but first off, he says, the reason the world hates you uh, is because you don't belong to it anymore. He says, I've chosen you out of the world, you no longer belong to it. If you were part of the world, they would love you with their love. Um... The reality is that the world loves conformity. The world loves everything to be like itself. 
fact, I read a fun story uh, this week about the guy who invented the umbrella of living in Thailand. I never used an umbrella until I came to Thailand, but I'm beginning to be convinced that an umbrella is actually a good thing, right? And the guy that, that invented it is actually from, from London, from England, where it rains a lot, like here. And um, you would think that such a handy tool in a rainy country would be welcomed and heralded and applauded. But the first time this guy got his umbrella out and walked down the street with his umbrella, you know what they did? They threw rocks and mud at him. Because <laughs> they thought he was an oddball and they didn't like his umbrella, right? The world likes things to be the same. They like conformity. They don't like things that are new and different. And if they would be that way towards somebody who made an umbrella, imagine what they do with Christians. Uh, I realize this, and probably most of us do when we're very young children, that the world loves uniqueness as long as you're unique like everybody else is unique, right? Uh, when I was a kid, you know, I'm kind of old and getting older, and when I was a kid in America, uh, a very popular thing were bell-bottom pants. Right? Remember, some of you are old enough to remember bell-bottom. Some of you, you have to look it up in a really old dictionary. Uh, and I remember... Uh, some older kids saying, oh, do you, you know, do you have bell-bottoms? And I thought, I mean, I was like seven years old, you know, and I thought, this, this, this kid was cool. And I thought, I don't know what bell-bottoms are, but I'm going to tell him I have one because I don't want him to think I'm a goofball. So I go, oh, yeah, bell-bottoms. Yeah, they're cool. And he went on and on about bell-bottoms. I'm going, oh, yeah, I love bell-bottoms. He goes, do you even know what they are? And I go, No. <laughs> You know, but I learned real quick. And when I found out, I had to have these, right? I had to have these because you've got to fit in. It's a bit ironic that every generation wants to be unique and cool. And they want to separate as far as they can from the last generation, mainly their parents. Because, you know, they see their parents as anything but cool. And so we've got to be unique and different from our parents. We've got to be new. And you can be new and creative and unique as long as you're unique and creative just like everybody else in your generation, Right? Like, you got to stay within those boundaries because we like conformity. The world, Jesus, uh, Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. The world has a very clear-cut mold that it wants to squeeze us into. And we need to fit into that mold. And if you don't fit, then you are rejected. You don't belong. And Jesus says the reality is you don't belong. You no longer belong to this world. You have been called out of it. And you are no longer like them. Now, it's important we get this in perspective. Uh, I grew up in a church that took this verse to mean whatever the world says is cool, you should do the opposite, right? You don't belong to them, therefore we're supposed to intentionally try to not be part of the world, right? Well, I don't know that that's really what Jesus had in mind here. Uh, I don't think he means that to be different, to not belong, means we're supposed to be odd. Now, I know a lot of us kind of are odd. And uh, as you walk around Chiang Mai, we are odd, okay? People, all of you sitting in this room for the most part, except for Brennan in the back because he's cool, but the rest of us are just odd. And when, when people around Chiang Mai see us, they know who we are. They know we're not backpackers, right? They know we're not tourists. They know we're missionaries. They know we're Christian workers. They know we're here for a reason because we kind of stand out. But we, we, don't need to go, we don't need to work extra hard to be odd, okay? Okay, so we're odd just naturally. We don't have to add to the effect, all right? Uh, there are some, some Christian groups that kind of, and when I was growing up, this was a big deal. It was like, you know, I know we're in the 70s, but we're going to dress like we're in the 50s, because that's spiritual. 
And I'm not talking 1950s, I'm talking 1850s, right? <laughs> right? We're going to have haircuts that are, you know, because we're supposed to be odd. Well, that's not what this means. Jesus doesn't mean that we should stand out because we're cultural goofballs, all right? We can just be ourselves. We can be natural. We can be who we are. There's nothing wrong with being uh, culturally connected. There's nothing wrong with being dressing like the world dresses, okay? Uh, with having a haircut or style or doing the things that are uh, within culture as long as they're not immoral, right? Uh, there's nothing wrong. That's not what Jesus means here when he says you don't belong to the world, that we're supposed to be uh, just weird, all right? Any weirder than we already are. Second thing, it doesn't mean we're supposed to be obnoxious, okay? Uh, I remember when I was in, uh, actually I was in seminary, and I would uh, take the bus to, to, not the yellow school bus, but like a city bus to, to school, and I had to uh, switch buses, and I was standing at this bus stop one day, and there was this guy with this humongous, massive black Bible, I mean, bigger than mine, this massive black Bible, reading it at the top of his lungs, and, and pretty much assaulting everybody at the bus depot, at the bus station, bus stop there, with his Bible with scripture. And he was doing it in a way that was just very obnoxious. Like, he wasn't like saying, hey, you know, did you know that God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life? No, nothing like that. It was more like, you know, like he was Jeremiah, and uh, he was, and he was just obnoxious, all right? And, and nobody was like bowing on their knees con- confessing. They were more like running, right? And they thought, this guy is crazy. Jesus doesn't say that we don't belong, therefore we should act crazy, all right, and scare people, all right? Now, sometimes the truth scares people. Sometimes the truth is very confrontive. Sometimes the truth may be perceived as rude when we speak the truth in love. But, but we're not supposed to be intentionally obnoxious, okay? Some of us have that kind of personality. We're good at that, okay? Well, that's not really a license here for this, okay? Uh, the third thing is we're, we're not to be... Um, we're not to be necessarily revolutionary. The gospel is revolutionary, and it's radical. But, but, but we don't, what Jesus is talking about is not having some kind of counter-revolution, overthrowing governments, being uh, you know, on political campaigns all the time, and not that there aren't appropriate times and ways to do that. But that's really not what Jesus is talking about here. In fact, when you look at Jesus, he was none of these. Jesus fit very much into his culture. Uh, he looked like any other Jewish male. He didn't stand out because he dressed differently or acted radically different outwardly in, in cultural things. He followed Jewish customs. He followed Jewish laws uh, for the most part. Um, he, he was not obnoxious. In fact, he was very generous and kind and loving. Uh, in fact, he drew large crowds because he was Identifiable. There was something that attracted people to him. All right, those are not the things that made him not fit or belong. Uh, he, in fact, he wasn't revolutionary enough. Remember, they wanted to. At one point, they wanted to kill him because he wouldn't be king. They wanted him to lead this revolution, and Jesus was not willing. So, for him, for the crowds there, he wasn't revolutionary enough politically. Um. The reason we don't belong isn't because of those outward external things. The reason we don't belong and the reason Jesus did not belong was because of a character inwardly that was radically different from the world. The world is selfish, materialistic, proud, greedy, self-consumed. 
The world lives by running over people, by controlling and overpowering people. And the way of Jesus is to be a servant, to be meek, to be gentle, to be loving and kind. Those ought to be the reasons that we don't fit in the world. Those ought to be the things that the world looks at and sees in us and hates us for. Because we reflect the likeness and character of Christ. Ironically, the reason ultimately the world rejected Jesus was because of his incredible love for the world. They couldn't swallow it. They couldn't take it. And the same ought to be true for us. We don't fit in the world because the world doesn't operate on those principles. When we step up, or should I say, when we kneel down and serve, and we, we are kind, and we are compassionate to the weak, when we take notice of the homeless and the poor and the people that the world throws away, the world doesn't like that. They didn't like it in Christ, and they don't like it in us. Uh, they should, we should not belong because our character is so radically different from the nature and character of the world that that's what makes us odd because we value and hold the things differently from them, because they are in the darkness and we are in light, because they love lies and we love the truth, because they love to hate and they love their evil and wicked deeds, and because we love righteousness and truth. Uh, The world should not hate us also because we're self-righteous. The world should not hate us because we have this attitude that we're superior to them because of our holiness. All right? They should hate us because we love them. Um, because we are Christ-like. Now, this brings up an important issue uh, for me, I think for all of us. And it's simply this, that Jesus makes it clear that, that we don't belong in the world. The world knows we don't belong and that we don't fit if we live this abiding life in Christ. If the fruit of, of the Spirit is being produced in us, That's enough to make us not fit very well in the world. But if you were like me, like most human beings, there is something deep inside us that longs to belong. Right? We want to belong to a group. Uh, We want to belong and identify with our friends. The reason I wanted bell-bottoms and I wanted to be cool was so I would belong at school. Right? I didn't want to stand out. If you were in Christ and you were abiding in Him and you were going down this path, you will increasingly not belong. And deep down inside, there's a part of us that that resists that, right? We want to belong. We want the world to like us. I want people to like me. Uh, I'll tell you a little secret about myself, okay? This is very personal, so don't laugh at me. But you can laugh. When I was in high school... I, uh, I had a very difficult time with girls. In fact, I was just absolutely scared to death of girls. And I, 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 this is the honest truth, I did not talk to girls. You might wonder how Denise and I ever met and got married. Well, God tricked me. That's all I can say. <laughs> right? Uh, I didn't say Denise tricked me, okay? It was God. It was God. Uh, but I'm, I'm serious. I was, I was just a wallflower to the court. And you know what was behind that? I did not want to be rejected. And I, I did not want to put myself out in a place with a girl where I might start to like her and she would reject me, which I was pretty convinced she would because I had such a poor image of myself. And I, I, I avoided rejection at all costs. Why? 
because I wanted to belong. And I thought, if I can't belong, I'll just build walls, and I'll isolate myself, and I'll just belong to a different group that's all male, right? Because we don't like to be rejected. So here's the, here's the deal. If we are not abiding in Christ and finding our identity or in our belonging with Him, if we are not plugging ourselves into Christian community where we have a community of believers in Christ that we belong to, where we have solid, deep relationships, what will happen in our life is, is the world will begin to reject us and it will feel uncomfortable and we won't like it and we will change course to make sure that we win the world's approval. How often do we do that? How easy it is to fall into that trap where we don't like the feeling of the world hating us. And so we start compromising or we start hiding who we are. Instead of letting the character of Christ shine out from us, we put on a mask. And we start acting and being like the world. Sadly, not only can we do this individually, where we start masking the life of Christ in us, start hiding it so that we don't stand out to fit in with the world. Not only can we do it as individuals, but sadly the church can do this. Sadly, and I think in, in, in recent times, in many sectors, the church has decided, you know, the gospel's not selling well. Lo and behold, we preach the gospel and they reject it. They throw rocks at us. So we have compromised the gospel and refitted it and make it popular for the world to accept. Jesus says here, that is not my plan. The gospel is supposed to be rejected by the world. My plan is that they will hate it. That's what it is, because if they're in the world, they will hate it. The only way for them not to hate it is to come out of the world. And that's why Jesus says, I have chosen you out of the world so you can accept and receive my gospel message. If we make the gospel so palatable to the world that they like it, we've missed the point. Now there is something to be said for contextualizing the gospel. Paul did this in Acts chapter 17. There's something to be said for communicating the gospel in a way that the world can hear it. But even in Acts chapter 17, they heard it. They didn't like it. They understood, they actually understood what Paul was saying, and because they understood it, a lot of them rejected the message. The reality is, if you're preaching a Christ that nobody's rejecting, you're not preaching Christ. You are not preaching the gospel. Because it is a stumbling block to the world. It is an offense to people. Isn't that great? That's what we get to sell. You know, we're selling something nobody wants and they all hate. Wow. That's the way it should be. Jesus says, I've told you this. I'm telling you this so that you won't abandon your faith. I'm telling you this now so that you're prepared for this. Okay? This ought to be part of your philosophy of ministry. All right? Your philosophy of ministry ought to be this. Jesus loves me, and he wants me to be a witness to the world, and therefore, I need to go out and make enemies with the world. Okay? My goal is for people to hate me. Not because I'm odd or obnoxious, or because I'm rude, but through love and compassion, I reveal a God that is offensive to them. Okay? That ought to be very much integrated into every part of what we are about. That we're revealing a, a Lord and Savior, a God, who we know will be offensive to the world. And they will reject it. They will reject us. They will reject Christ. 
Um, so, the only way we can the only way we can do this, at least for me, being a being inherently one given to a, being a people pleaser. Some of you are not like this. Uh, some of you remember Giuseppe Restivo, elder from way back. First time I met him, he said, "Yeah, I love to get people really ticked off." He says, "I live to agitate people." Some people are like that. I'm not. I like to be a people pleaser. And so I have to, from day by day, I have to realize that my, my belonging is in Christ. My belonging is, is within the body of Christ. That's where I belong. And I am not to be making, uh, accommodating myself to the world so that they will like me. Uh, second reason they hate us. So they hate us because we don't belong, we don't fit. Second reason, though, they, they hate us because they do hate God. From the outset, from the beginning, the world is in rebellion to God. In fact, when John uses this word world in, throughout this gospel, most of the time he means a group of people who are set against God. He doesn't mean the world as in the population of the earth, but he means specifically the world as in a system that is worldly that is focused on the world, that is existing apart from God and His goodness and character. Uh, this, is, this is it. The, Jesus said, uh, you know, you've heard me say, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. In the, in the, the image of the vine and the branches, it's like this. If, if Jesus is the vine and we're the branches, and the world goes after that vine with an axe... Uh, we're all going to get kind of messed up in the process. Okay, the branches can't escape when the vine is attacked. Now, thankfully, this is a vine that the world cannot chop down. But they can sure try. They can wail on it, and they will. And if they wail on the world, uh, on the vine, uh, they will wail on us as well. And that's what Jesus is saying. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Um, not only does the world not like us, but Jesus promises that for those who follow him, there will be persecution. There will be persecution. Now, that's something to look forward to, right? Uh, we love that. In fact, we love it so much that I believe modern Christianity has written a theology that is persecution-free. Uh, there's a lot of theology that says God's plan for us is that we be safe and comfortable and that life goes good. That God loves us, and if God loves us, he's going to make sure nothing difficult or hard ever comes into our life. He's going to protect us and keep us safe. And a lot of people live their Christian life with this assumption that if they're doing all the things God says, if they're abiding, if they're loving, if they're being obedient, if they're walking in joy and all the things that he's just been talking about, it's God's duty, God owes it to me, to keep me safe and comfortable. And so we never consider an option as being part of God's will that would involve difficulty or persecution. All right? Uh, I've just been reading, uh, it's dangerous, you know, preachers who read books. This should be like band or something, because I read books and then I just get so excited. I've just been reading the book, The Heavenly Man. Have any of you read the book, The Heavenly Man? Okay. Why haven't you all read this book? It's a great book. Have you read it yet, Paul? Okay. I gave Paul the book, and he's reading it. I would highly recommend this book. Man, good book. It's just very interesting. It's about a guy in China who came to Christ back in the 70s, 
endured incredible persecution at the hands of the, uh, of the communists. Was put in jail numerous times, beaten, tortured, uh, almost died numerous times. Uh, great example of uh, a persecution in the world today. He was persecuted up until it was beaten physically, was in prison and put in jail as recently as, I think, 2001. Okay? Recent stuff. Uh, in Burma, in China, in places in Africa, Christians are being persecuted. Uh, and it's interesting, Brother Yoon, the guy that the book is about, uh, embraces that persecution. Because the church there has been persecuted from its birth, it's very much a part of their theology. And I think we need to incorporate some of that theology. Because Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Did they persecute Jesus? Yes or no? They killed him. They tortured him. They persecuted him. They will persecute you and I. And the truth is, the world is persecuting us. Now, they may not be beating us. They may not be torturing us and throwing us in jail. But they are attacking us. Uh, and persecution can come in many forms. Thankfully, we don't have to endure, most of us, hopefully all of us, will never have to endure that kind of beating or imprisonment. But we do daily endure ridicule and mocking and scorn. There are plenty of people around the world laughing at you and I because we believe in God. In fact, just uh, Friday night I was talking to Walter Ridgely and he showed me a poster that's being pasted all over Chiang Mai. Uh, one of them was a picture of, if you can picture this, a picture of Ronald McDonald, you know, the McDonald's clown guy, being crucified on a cross. Uh, another one is one of these evolution things where it shows the chimpanzee, you know, and then the man, kind of the, what do you call the, you know, the, the half, yeah, yeah, you know, the, 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 and it goes up to a man, and then it starts going back down and back down, and then the lowest form of evolution at the end, when they go up to the pinnacle and start going back down, is a Christian carrying a cross. <clears throat> Uh, in other words, we have devolved. Well, these are being plastered all over Chiang Mai on light posts, on signposts, and written in Thai. <coughs> it's saying, save us from Christianity. Save Thailand from Christianity. Save Thai culture. Just one example. Day after day, we are being mocked. We are being smeared. We are made, being made fun of. There are people who will tell us, "You, how could you be so stupid to believe the Bible when science and all of its wisdom has proven it wrong, right? Uh, our high school students, our middle school students, our kids are confronted with these kind of attacks daily. Uh, and then when they go to their home countries, when they go to be around other friends, they are laughed at and mocked because they believe the God of the Bible. It's supposed to be that way. Okay, we ought to be preparing our kids. We ought to be preparing ourselves for that kind of mockery and ridicule. Jesus said, "That's the world hates you. They hate you because they hated me. And so they will persecute you. <clears throat> and they will persecute you first and foremost because they hate Jesus. They hate the God that's revealing himself to them. In fact, Jesus says some very <clears throat> startling words. He says, um, He says, They do all this to you for they have rejected the one who sent me. The ultimate truth is they've rejected God. God set the sign of the world. They've rejected God. He said, They would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them. 
but now they have no excuse for their sin. Uh, Anyone who hates me hates the Father. If I had not done such miraculous signs among them uh, that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. Um, What does that mean? Does it mean that that the world would not have been guilty of sin if Jesus had not come? That's not what Jesus is talking about here. And in the context, he says they've rejected God. Okay, what they're guilty of is ultimately rejecting God. And the reason is this, that God sent Jesus in the world to do what? To die for our sins, to save us. But also, Jesus says throughout the Gospel of John, he says, I have come to reveal the Father to you. The disciples said, you know, just earlier in this passage, they said, Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus says, what? I've been with you all this time and you don't know yet? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus came and he proclaimed amazing words of truth. He came proclaiming the message of the Father to reveal the Father to the world. But they did not receive it. They rejected Jesus' message. And the the truth is, Jesus was the best preacher, the best teacher that ever walked on the earth. He was the perfect communicator. So they didn't reject it because they misunderstood it. I have the wonderful privilege of being misunderstood every week. And people tell me stuff and they go, oh man, I just... I'm such a bad communicator sometimes because what people hear is really not often what I'm saying. <clears throat> Jesus was misunderstood not because he didn't say it well, because they just did not want to hear his message. They rejected the message. And so they were guilty of rejecting God the Father. Jesus says, if you hate me, you hate the Father. You reject my message, you're proving that you are rejecting God himself. And so they are guilty. Because in their heart, the world does not want to know or follow God. They don't want to see him. They don't want him to exist. Jesus even says, I did all these amazing miracles. I performed amazing miracles and did incredible things to reveal the power and love of God to you. But they did not accept the miracles. Mind-boggling. Jesus raised the dead, he healed, he walked on water, he fed the 5,000 They rejected those miracles. Now, in our day and age, the world rejects those miracles by discounting that they ever happened. Right? We're too scientific for all that, and we say, well, that's scientifically impossible. Therefore, it can't be true. Right? So the world today rejects it on those grounds. But in Jesus' day, they saw it. It's hard to reject a miracle that you see, even if you're scientific, which they weren't. And... uh, they still so how, what does it, what does it mean that they rejected his miracles? Did they not believe in them? Well, they saw them and they did believe in them. One of the best examples of this is when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Uh, Jesus raised Lazarus. He comes after being four days dead, comes back to life. A bunch of people see it, and some some tattletales run off and tell the Pharisees. Right? What did the Pharisees answer? They say, oh, well, that's scientifically impossible. You must have been seeing things. They didn't say that. Did they say, well, you know, four days in the, ho- in the, in the grave, he probably just was taking a long nap, just woke up. No, they didn't say that. They did not deny the miracle. But they, they were, it says that they were filled with rage. The miracle made them angry. Not because they didn't believe it happened, but because they... Well, why did they? 
Why were they so angry that Jesus was raising people from the dead? Well, I believe the reason was because they didn't give permission. Throughout the Gospels, the Pharisees kept asking Jesus, Who gave you the authority and right to do these things? They didn't like it because they weren't in charge. And they said, We have got to get this Jesus under control. If we don't stop him, all Israel will follow him. Which means they won't follow us. We won't be in control anymore. When you boil it down, Jesus says at the end, he says, This fulfills what the scriptures wrote about me, that they hated me without cause. There is absolutely no good logical reason why the world hates God. Why does the world hate God? Why do they hate us? Why does the world hate so much that God loves them? It doesn't really make sense, does it? Jesus says they're fulfilling the scripture. They hated me without cause. There's no good reason for it. Well, Jesus doesn't give an explanation here, but my theory real quick is that the, the main reason the world rejects God and hates him, in spite of the message and the truth of it, in spite of the miracles and the power of it, is simply that they do not want God to be in control. If we acknowledge that there is a creator God who made us and who is sovereign over us and has right to rule over our life, then it means we have to bow to that authority and walk in obedience to it. Right? How many people have you witnessed to enchart Christ with who have said, well, yeah, but if I, if I become a Christian, I'll have to stop sinning. Right? I can't do, I can't do the things I love anymore. Because they love their, Jesus says, they love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil and they love their evil deeds, right? They don't want God to be God. They don't want God to be in charge of their life. They don't want to bow their life to God the Father. They want to be God. And there's not room in the universe for two gods. Either I'm God in charge of my own life or he is. And so they have rejected him. And so they reject all that comes with him, which means you and I. When we come with this message of truth and hope and love and God's goodness, uh, they reject us and they hate us and persecute us because they do not want to bow their lives before him. Um, So what is our response to all this? If all this is true which it is, and that the world really hates us, what are we supposed to do with this? Well, I like this option. Let's all, let's all create a little Christian bubble community off somewhere safe like Chiang Mai. And let's all have our little community here and let's kind of huddle together and really love each other and be happy and let them all just go to hell, right? Because they don't like us anyway. And so we'll just be safe right here. We'll be comfortable. We'll sing lots of praise songs and be happy. Right? Well, that's not really quite what God's plan is. He says in verse 26, But I will send you the, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning. Uh, this is the amazing thing. And this, uh, God sent the Holy Spirit. Jesus left. He sent the Holy Spirit. He came out from the Father. Great theology here. If, you, if you're into deep theological stuff, it says the Holy Spirit proceeded from the Father. 
flowed out from the being and essence of the Father. Uh, as an advocate, the word, the, it's very unfortunate, there's not a good English word to translate the word paraclete. Uh, some translations say advocate, some say helper, some say comforter. Probably the best description would be uh, all of those combined. He's not a helper like, like, like our May Bond, okay? He's not an advocate like some human rights advocate. Uh, he's not a comforter like somebody with a box of Kleenex. He's kind of all of those mixed together. He's a helper who is a powerful advocate. He's an advocate who's a compassionate comforter. But in, in the context of this passage, it's not so much his ministry to comfort and encourage to minister to us, which he does, and we learn more about that later in chapter 16. But, but he comes as a witness to the world. He comes bearing witness to the truth and to Christ. What is God's response to this hate-filled world that has rejected him? How does God respond to this world? Well, incredibly, God sent his only son into this world who hated him. That's what God did. This world that rejected and despised him and hated him, God sent his most precious son to be a witness to himself, to reveal the Father, knowing that they would hate him and persecute and kill him, crucify him. And then when they did that, and, and God ro- Jesus rose again and was, was out of the picture, God then sent the Holy Spirit into the world to bear witness to himself, to proclaim himself. And he sends us to do the same. He says, and you must also bear witness. What is to be our response to this hateful world that we don't belong to? Well, it's to go to this world and love it. To love these people who hate us. To show the heart and character of God. The heart of the Father was to love and reveal himself over and over again, repeatedly, continually to this world. Even as they rejected. Knowing that some would would be chosen out, some would be drawn out, some would come out of the world and would embrace him. And that's what he calls us to. To be a people who don't hide from their world, We don't hide in the shelter and safety of the church, although we need that belonging. We need that community. But we ought to be daily going out, bearing witness to Christ, to being Christ in the world. Okay? Which means being something that they hate, knowing that they're going to throw rocks at us. And I love, you know, Jesus bore witness by his message and by his works. That's what we ought to do. We ought to be proclaiming the truth Gently and in love, okay? Claiming the truth doesn't mean going to people and saying, you know, you are just going to hell and you deserve it. It's the truth. It's It's not love, right? We proclaim the heart of God. We reveal the Father through our life. As we abide in Christ and he puts his life in us, we're just to live out there, live the message in a way that people see Christ in us. As we proclaim the message of God's love and faithfulness, of his death for them, of their sin and the penalty and consequences of that sin but Jesus' merciful gift of forgiveness through the blood of Christ we have to be praying for people and seeing God's power through answered prayer in their life as we pray for their healing and their help, for financial help for answers to life's problems Uh, we are to be witnesses to the world no matter how big uh, the rocks are that they throw uh, he says to this, and this is clearly to the first disciples, because you've been with me from the beginning. 
Um, we haven't been with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry. But he's been with us walking in this abiding relationship from the beginning of our conversion. And uh, it is as his life, as we walk and experience Christ in us, as we become transformed into his likeness, that our life is a witness to the world. You know, I like kind of making fun of us that we do stand out here in Chiang Mai, partly because those of us, especially who are white, really stand out. Okay, those of you who are Asian don't stand out quite as much. Uh, but we ought to stand out because the character of our life is so strange, especially when we're being persecuted, especially when they're laughing at us. Uh, Brother Yoon, who was so persecuted, so beaten, uh, horrible stuff done to him in China when he was in prison, uh, is now living in Germany. And uh, when people in the West ask him, you know, we need to pray that all that persecution would stop. He says, don't do that. Don't pray against persecution because the persecution of the church in China has been one of its most powerful witnesses of the mercy and grace of God. Millions of people have come to Christ in China because the believers there have been persecuted and yet they still have the joy and peace and love of Christ. One day when Brother Yoon was in a cell four foot by four foot, he had been beaten, was bleeding, uh, was looking at either death or a life prison sentence. But uh, somehow he'd gotten a Bible, an incredible, miraculous answer to prayer. And he'd spent the night praying and worshiping and just being in God's presence, abiding in Christ. Early, early one morning they came, they drug him out of his cell, and he's in this dirty, damp, cold four-by-four cell, covered in blood, beaten, battered, radiant with joy. And the guard just looked at him and goes, what is wrong with you? What are you so happy about? And he resented him for it. He resented him because he was so happy. There's a powerful witness when the world hates us, when they make fun of us, when they mock us, and yet we bubble with joy in the life of Christ. They may hate us more because of it, but it's a powerful witness of the character and nature of God, isn't it? Really, maybe we should, and I don't do this, but maybe we should pray for more persecution. Maybe we should pray for more opportunities to visibly display God's love in the face of hatred. Because it is probably our most powerful witness. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much for the life we have in you. You have called us, you've chosen us out of the world, out of sin. Lord, we know that we used to be in that place where we loved our sin. And we rejected you and refused to bow our life before you because we did not want to give up our own sinfulness, our own wickedness, control over our own life. We were so proud and so independent. And yet, you revealed yourself to us. You sent your Holy Spirit who bore witness in our hearts, and we understood. And now you have made us your ambassadors. You have made us Christ's body in the world. That by our life, by our witness, by our testimony, empowered by the Holy Spirit who has also come to bear witness to Christ, 
we have the privilege of revealing you to this world in the same way that Jesus revealed the Father to us. What an incredible privilege. And Lord, help us not to get caught off guard or be surprised when the world rejects our message and hates us. Most of all, Father, don't ever let us compromise our walk with you by letting our life be conformed to this world. For that's sin. Lord, you called us out of this world to have a life that is uniquely different and distinct. Lord, help us to be filled with your life, to be cleansed and purified and made holy by your word, by the blood of Christ that our life would be radically different. And all those around us would see it, would see Christ in us, even if they hate it. And Lord, when they hate us, when they make fun of us, when they stomp on us, help us, Father, to be filled with your joy and your light, to love them, to be as Christ was when he was persecuted and beaten. He did it out of love. Lord, help us to do it with with your heart of love for this world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.